Hi, I'm Cola Shippentower, and this is the Enough is Enough podcast, the show where we talk about everything and anything, from politics to relationships, from fitness to sex, and everything in between. We talk with individuals who have said enough is enough and are ready to speak what's on their hearts. All right. What is going on? You know, the last time I did this, I had a fairly good response and, you know, it almost forces me to kind of make this short and to get recording done at the same time. So, you know, we're going to give it another go. And so let's go ahead and get right into it. I've talked about this topic several times on the podcast and I'm going to cover it again because I've actually been asked uh, by several people about my own story and that is a story of recovery. I've had several people on the podcast telling their stories that the nitty gritty, the ins and the outs of um, their addiction and recovery and what that's looked like for them. And most of the time I kind of, you know, I'm able to have an open conversation because I've been there. So when I've talked about this, people will often ask me in return is, well, what did you struggle with? How did you deal with it? And, you know, what what seemed to have helped you through that? So uh, before I get into a lot of the, the details of what's going on, I want people on Instagram Live and also on the podcast to keep in mind that when we talk about addiction or alcoholism, you need to be prepared. Be prepared for certain words or verbiage being used and recognize the triggers that might come into play during these types of conversation. Always be mindful of the conversations that you're listening to and make sure you are ready for it in your own journey. So I want to put that out there as a preface to this conversation that we're about to have today. And I will again keep in mind that I have comments and maybe questions on Instagram live and I'll make sure to answer those and read those. So let's go ahead and get into this. Um, I guess the, the very surface level, not to get too deep into details is I had actually started drinking at the age of 17. Sorry, mom. Um, I did really, really good through most of my childhood and most of my teenage years to refrain from alcohol, um, drinking or any sort of drug use, things like that. And I will also say that I don't have a lot of personal experience with uh, drug use, so I won't try to speak to that too much. I will only speak to my own personal experience in regards to alcohol. So in true cola fashion. I didn't try with just little baby drinks here and there. I didn't try with anything too light. I was actually given a very high, uh, very high alcoholic level, uh, drink and it was a shot. It wasn't, it didn't taste good. It wasn't right. Um, I didn't like how I felt with it, but what had actually led me into, you know, this struggle with alcoholism was the need to, be able to express myself and feel the feelings um, all the way through. A lot of times when we're talking about alcoholism, people will use this because it's technically a downer and people will use it to numb out a lot of the feelings that they have, whether it be sadness, rage, anger, all sorts of things, confusion. And I was actually quite the opposite. Um, I had a really hard time navigating and identifying the emotions that I was feeling. And I was very much just, you know, meh. I I was a meh kind of kid at that point. And so alcohol allowed for me to explore and really feel all these emotions. So when I drank, it was, oh, I'm really, really happy. So I'm going to keep drinking. So it's going to make me even more happy. And then if I was feeling back to this meh point and I would drink and all of a sudden this uh, feeling of maybe anger would come up and I'm like, wow, I really don't ever allow myself to be mad. So I would drink more and I'd get more and more angry and start to really feel that. So I had quite the opposite reaction with alcohol than what a lot of other people do. 
Something else that we want to keep in mind is that I have a very impulsive personality, meaning that when I try something, I can very quickly exchange it and make it into uh, an addiction. So um, that was my start with alcohol at 17 years old. Um, I didn't get heavy into it until about 18 and 19 years old. And, you know, I started to realize that it was an issue when I was working to, you know, afford that lifestyle to be able to drink uh, throughout the day. I would often wake up, see what I could do to get money, drink as much as I could, often into the evening time, clear until a blackout mode, and then pass out, wake up and do it all over again. And it was really during that that last part of my teenage years, 18 and 19, that it got really, really bad. And, you know, this boy will always be my biggest lifesaver. I think creator knew exactly what he was doing when he sent this little boy into my life. And that was Abraham. And I had gotten pregnant and decided I was going to be sober because of course, during pregnancy, you need to be clean and you need to be healthy. So I didn't consume any sort of alcohol during that entire pregnancy. And I tried to hold off the best that I could when he was born. Um, and I did fairly well with that, but then started my journey with MMA and this is a really, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, an amazing sport and it's brought a lot of blessings into my life. But when you start diving into the really big, uh, MMA lifestyle, especially on the weekends, you're going to events. If you're winning or if you're losing, people want to buy you drinks. So I fell right back into that same cycle, that same rhythm that I had known beforehand. And, um, I, I definitely don't want to get too emotional, especially while recording this podcast and talking with people on Instagram live, but I, I wasn't doing my best to be a good mom. And I will be very honest that 20 through 25 was a very difficult time for me, especially when it came to motherhood. And I was still trying to navigate on trying to figure out who I was as a person and also trying to take on this sport that's very, very difficult for very many people. So, you know, I I look forward to the day where I can be completely transparent and honest with my son. And he knows some of my story and he knows a little bit of the background, but he's still kind of young to understand the full impact that he had on my life. And I am hopeful that the conversation that we have will be um, an exchange of lessons learned. I believe that he was much too young to understand what was going on and what mommy was doing. So I, I see that as kind of my, my cushion for grace in that time, but I will always be honest with my children when it comes to my journey and how I've gotten to be this far. Um, Taryn says, our stories are very similar and I'm happy you are sharing yours for others. Absolutely. And that's the best thing that we could do, especially when it comes to really heavy topics like this. You know, with Native Americans, I was actually doing some research and the American Addiction Center says that the, race to, the rate of past month and past year alcohol use among Native Americans is significantly higher than any other ethnic groups. And that could be, there's a lot of contributing factors to that, whether it be, um, you know, PTSD, uh, trauma, or just issues in being able to navigate certain feelings or mental health. And also you think about it biologically, our livers are not made up the same as other ethnicities out there. We actually have a 
low functioning liver. So when we start taking in alcohol, it doesn't process the same. Same with sugar. And that's why diabetes comes into play for a lot of Native Americans and other cultures as well. Um, so that's a huge uh, factor in there. Also, nearly a quarter of Native Americans report binge drinking in the past month. And that was something that I did a lot of was binge drinking. So when I finally had kind of gotten my drinking under control. I would work throughout the week, Monday through Friday, clocked in and made sure I made my money taking care of my son. And then on the weekends was often when I would take off in the evening time to go to the bar, go to the club, whatever it may be, or go leave for a fight weekend and, you know, dive right back into that, that drinking. So it was very much binge drinking and social drinking. That's how I felt I was able to function around other people. Like I said, I used alcohol to enhance my emotions and my feelings. I didn't use it necessarily to numb it out, but I wanted to be able to feel all the feelings because I wasn't quite in a place to allow myself to do that. I wasn't confident in that time to do it. Also, the rate of Native Americans with an alcohol use disorder is higher than that of the total population. And three in 10 Native American young adults um, report binge drinking one in 11 report heavy alcohol use and one in 10 have an alcohol use disorder. So, you know, what really bothered me after I'd gotten sober was that my eyes were being opened to the amount of stereotypes that Native Americans often face, which is we're alcoholics. We, you know, that's all we're capable of. We're on the side of the roads collecting cans and we're just trying, you know, get the, whatever bucks we can just to get our next drink. And I don't think a lot of people understand the reason behind a lot of that. Um, I know growing up on the reservation and living on the reservation, I have seen it, but I also know who these people are and understand maybe part of their journey to lead them to where this is why they drink so heavily and as often as they do. Um, but, you know, it's just really disheartening that a lot of the alcohol use has started at a very early age and it follows very many people clear until adulthood because they're not quite understanding um, how to identify these issues and how they can overcome it. So, um, but that is kind of the, the foundation, the base of my issues that I had with alcohol. And it wasn't until I had my second son... And he was about a year and a half old and I had kind of fallen back into um, drinking heavily. I was sober during my pregnancy and gotten back into it just because of the relationship that I was in was very unhealthy. It was very toxic. Um, I can say now without a doubt that separately we are good people. We just are not good together. And, you know, there was a lot of domestic violence. There's a lot of abuse. There was a lot of arguing. There's a lot of fighting. So, you know, that played into the alcohol use, it fueled it. And so we both heavily drank quite a bit. And um, I think it was kind of a wake up call. I had a really bad um, accident when I was drinking and ended up breaking my nose and scuffing up a good portion of my face. And cops were not called, ambulance was not called. I just went straight home slept it off, went back to my parents' house the next day to pick up my boys. And my dad had finally stopped me and wanted to have this conversation. And you know, it's serious when your parents use your first and last, first and middle name. Well, it's serious when my dad decides to use my Indian name to start off any conversation. So when he does say my Indian name first, I have a tendency to listen a little bit more carefully and a little bit more, um, you know, purposeful. 
And when I got to the house to pick up my boys, they were getting their stuff together. And I was sitting in the car because I was hurt. I didn't want to move. And I was also hung over and it didn't feel good to move around and get out of the car or anything. So I was kind of just waiting for them to come out. And my dad comes out and he says, Tamhaya. And he looked at my face because he knew exactly what had happened. He said, these boys are a gift from the creator. And if you do not take care of them how he needs you to take care of them, he will take them back. And I'm going to be completely honest, that scared the shit out of me. I was hung over and hurt in the first place. My body was aching all over, but it stuck with me and it hit me to my core. He was talking about the ultimate ultimatum is that the creator could call these boys back home if I do not take care of them how they're supposed to be taken care of here on this earth. It scared the shit out of me and I said, you know what? Like enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. Like I've got to start figuring this out. I can't continue living my life like this. And I mean, what's going to happen? And it scared me so bad. And, you know, I'm going to be honest and I try my best to always be transparent with all of my followers, all of my listeners. And it took me some time to really grasp what my dad had just told me. And I didn't quit cold turkey at that moment. Um, you know, I believe in my recollection is I stayed sober for a couple of weekends and then I kind of just felt right back into it because I was still struggling. It was, it was a problem. My alcoholism was a major problem it was affecting my relationship with my parents and with my kids and with my significant other at the time. And it was a really hard time. And, you know, it came down to me, trying to figure out the bigger why for myself. So that has to be probably one of my first tips or piece of advice for anyone that is looking to quit something is finding out your bigger why. And at the time, surface level, I thought it was going to be fighting. I thought fighting was my thing. I thought fighting was going to be the end all be all. That was what I was going to do with my life. Little did I know that there was other things that were happening in my life that were kind of adding up to why I needed to be sober and in my heart I knew was the reason behind all of that. I had lost an aunt and a cousin who had also struggled in their addiction and died in what they're classifying as a car accident, but we know it wasn't that. I had also lost a cousin who had experienced domestic violence and had relied on alcohol as well to kind of cope with those feelings and ended up being found in a river. And that was also classified as an accident, which we know wasn't true. Um, so these things were happening through my life and I didn't realize, of course, when traumatic things happen in our life, we want to question it. We're like, why is this? What is going on? What is the purpose behind this? And these things were kind of, you know, seeds were being planted um, when I was still navigating through my own journey through alcoholism. And reflecting back on it, hindsight is twenty twenty, is that now, today, I understand that a lot of these things were happening to help me hold on to the realization that our life here on this earth is very much timed and not guaranteed for how long we get to be here. And I started to realize, and I'm, 
you know, as I continue with advocacy work for MMIW and MMIR, I start reflecting back on the way I was living my life. And I was not safe. I was not checking in with people. I was trusting some of the worst people that I could have put my life into their hands. And thinking back on it, I don't think I would have as much appreciation uh, for my own life if it weren't for these experiences. And I do believe Creator has uh, a plan for everyone. And that was kind of, you know, the the reason why I went through these experiences was to open up my eyes later on as an adult to be able to share these experiences with other people with hopes of letting them know that they don't have to go through all this stuff. We can talk about it. We can have the conversation. And, you know, there's still times even today that I reflect and I'm like, what is creator keeping me around for? There was so many instances and situations that I put myself into that I shouldn't even be alive today. I shouldn't even be out roaming free sort of thing. And I just have to, you know, trust that creator has put me out here to help other people possibly find their bigger why, whether it be your kids, whether it be your fitness journey, whether it be your family or your culture. If you have to go that far and say, you know what, I want to be a representative for my people, uh, whether it be, you know, that you want to lose some weight. We all know that once you take out alcohol, like a lot of people are like, wow, this first week that I cut out alcohol, I lost like five pounds and I feel amazing sort of thing. Um, so it's going to be searching for a much bigger why. Maybe taking a look at some of the experiences you're having within this addiction and saying, am I being safe? Am I contributing to others? Am I showing others how valuable their life can be by the actions that I'm taking with mine? And I strongly encourage anyone, even outside of an addiction, you can always ask yourself for the bigger why. What What is this so important for me to take this change in my life? Um, does it mean me coming back home? Does it mean that I get to continue being a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a son or a daughter? Does it mean I get to continue taking care of my kids? Does it mean that I can provide for them to have an amazing and fulfilled life? So that's my first piece of advice. Um, the second part on what helped me was you got to be able to find your support. You got to find your people. And right at the, at the very beginning of this thought and this mindset heart set that was being put into place when I decided to quit drinking was my dad was a huge support and my parents. Now my mom is very realistic with me. She's very much been, you know what, Cola, you're going to make your own decisions and you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your actions. And my parents never really sheltered me. They never really kept me from the real world. They wanted me to experience things and learn my lessons, whether that be the easy or the hard way. But my mom has always been very real. And she's like, truly my ride or die, the, like the OG that has my back. Um, I trust her above all else. So I know that during that time, now that I'm looking back, what she was doing was ultimately what was going to be best for me through this journey. So she really stood back and was like, if you're going to get into trouble, if you're going to get anything negative thrown at you, you're going to have to kind of deal and navigate through that on your own. My dad, on the other hand, was a little bit more hands-on. He really sat down to have conversations with me. Um, and, you know, those were my two forms of support during that time. It might look different for you. For everyone, when it comes to your your road to recovery, it's very individualistic. And it, your plan is always going to be catered especially to you. I understand that a lot of people might not have that kind of support in place, but you have 
tons of options. Whether or not it feels like it right now in this moment in your struggle, you always have options. So it could be a brother, a sister. Um, if you're older and you have children, maybe your children are your support for you. Uh, you might have coworkers or colleagues or friends or a roommate, or you might have to dig into look into resources from maybe a clinic or maybe a hotline or something like that. You know, uh, one thing that I do have is that American Addiction Center that is able to cater to your specific um, needs, whether it be talking about addiction or detox or going into recovery is... Uh, this group, they're able to help you. I will go ahead and talk about their phone number. And that is 888-487-2830. That is one resource. I am telling you, you can Google just about everything that you need. And so if you're struggling, say, I don't have anyone to support me. There are always options. It's going to take just a tiny bit of work. That's why finding, finding your bigger why is going to be super helpful in this. So that was one thing that really worked for me was finding my support. Um, next, Next tidbit that I have is uh, replacement options. You know, this is kind of where I really discovered how bad my addiction had gotten and what an impulsive personality means. And I've recognized it and I, I'm still working through it and navigating through it. I'm not saying that if you do have the same type of personality as me, that you're going to be able to fix it like that. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some real honesty with yourself and in your journey. But, you know, finding a healthier replacement for drinking habits can be really, really helpful. That's what helped me. So I personally use Dr. Pepper. So anytime I had this really strong craving or this really strong urge, I use Dr. Pepper. And so even if I decided to go out, hang out with my friends, go to a bar or a club, I ordered Dr. Pepper. It was almost this, um, it was almost the, the ritual of being able to order a drink, having something in my hand. And when you're just kind of walking around, having a drink in your hand and something almost, it was like a social cue that when I felt uncomfortable with somebody, I noticed that's when I took a drink or if I felt awkward, I'm not, I'm not big on small talk. So having something to do with my hands and to kind of cover up the, the awkwardness and, you know, um, not really sure of what to say or do was what, where that drink came into play. So I recognized that was a really good replacement for me because it gave me that social cue. Um, another thing that I decided to replace when I got deeper down into the root of why I was drinking, when I was trying to navigate feelings, when I was trying to figure out where I was mentally and physically and emotionally, I decided during those moments when I felt that trigger, like I, I normally would have drank, I decided go for a workout, go to the gym. Now this is where this replacement option becomes a double-edged sword. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm a fighter. I have to take myself seriously, my diet. So I had to cut out the Dr. Pepper. I couldn't do that anymore. And then I really relied heavily on my, my training. So I would wake up at 5 a.m. I would go to the gym. I would work out until I had to go to work at 8 o'clock. And then on my lunch break, I would go and train again for an hour. And then as soon as I got off of work at 4.30, I would head straight to the gym and train. Clear until uh, the second gym that I would go to closed at 10 o'clock. Okay. So that was 
a really big problem because I was still taking time away from those who mattered the most to me, which was my boys. I was taking time away in the morning that I could be spending getting them ready for the day. I was taking time away that I could be spending with friends or family during my lunch break. And then I was taking the whole chunk of what I did have available in the evening time and spending it at the gym. And it wasn't until about three years after I had done this. Now, I am absolutely grateful and I'm blessed for the options that I did have at the time. Being able to train and my body was willing to accept the fact that I wanted to train so much was a huge blessing because it got me over that hurdle um, of being able to put alcohol away and being done with it. And, you know... It wasn't until, like I said, about three years after I had started that process when I met my husband and he had really pointed out the fact, you know, this is a problem that you're training so much. And the awesome thing about it at the time was that he had nothing invested in me. We were literally friends that were just hanging out and we would train at the gym every once in a while. But it was almost every time he would ask me what I was doing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to the gym. Oh, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to the gym. And, you know, he noticed this pattern that I was doing and he said, it is possible to overtrain your body. And it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, whoa, I've been working so hard to get off all this weight. I'm not taking in enough food. And so my body's holding on to everything. So it became this whole different conversation about um, training right, eating the right foods. And it, it shifted my attention to something else. And then it also helped me realize, Cola, you got to take a break. You can't work out this much. And having that initial conversation sparked in my mind that I had to think about why am I training so much? And it forced me to sit and navigate those feelings. Like I said, when I started drinking, it was so that I could feel stuff. So I could feel stuff 100% and identify what I was feeling. So now that somebody had, again, called me out on my shit and said, why are you training so much? What's going on? So about the mark of year, almost year four with my sobriety, I had finally sat down and said, you know what? I really need to allow myself to feel everything. I need to understand what's going on. Um, mentally and emotionally with me that's triggering me to work out so much, which in the past had triggered me to drink so much. So, and I'm coming up on September will be seven years of sobriety. So this is telling you that only in the past three years have I really figured out what all of this has meant. And even today, there's times where I have to really sit down and journal maybe and meditate and figure out what these feelings are supposed to mean and what they're going on. But now I feel more confident and comfortable identifying when I'm super happy. When I'm happy, everybody usually sees it because now I'm comfortable with expressing those emotions sober and outside of the gym. And when I'm upset, I'm getting better at communicating when I am upset and when I am angry and navigating that feeling and figuring out how to make it into a positive shift into something else. So finding replacement options can be really, really good, but you really need to figure out, you know, why is it that we're having these triggers and what is it that's causing us to want to feel like we have to do these things? So that worked out for me was replacing it with a Dr. Pepper if I went out and then also replacing it with gym time. I'm not saying going to the gym a lot is a horrible thing, but also take in consideration why is it that you're wanting to do this stuff all the time. All right. And my last little tidbit, I love this one so much and I encourage anyone that is, you know, on the road of recovery or they're coming out of an addiction, 
celebrate all the milestones. Every single fucking milestone you have, celebrate the shit out of it. I am so tired of seeing people saying, you know what, keep your plans a secret and clap for your damn self when these things are going on. No one needs to know your business until you've made it to wherever you're going. I call bullshit on that one. If you have been clean an hour, fucking tell people. I've stayed away from drinking or using for an hour. I've stayed away from drinking or using for a day. Today is 24 hours. I've made it. Share it with your support people. Share it on social media. I I cannot express how tired I get of people that are like, cool story. Yeah, try being sober for 10 years or try being sober and clean for 15 years. And then you get to say, no, that's not how this works out. So if you're looking to, you know, get rid of an addiction and start moving in a positive direction for yourself, celebrate, celebrate all of it. If you're coming up on one month, yes, post about it, tell people, text people, say, yo, I made it to a month. Let them celebrate that with you. It means so much. If it's six months, if it's like 42 weeks, if it's anything like that, if you're counting down every single day, if you're counting down the year or counting up the years, do that. Celebrate every single milestone that you reach with any sort of addiction that you have. Do not let the naysayers or the haters come in with their jealousy and their egos and ruin it for you. That's not that's not what they should be saying or what they should be doing. That it does not help you. And also, you know, also on the same, you know, on, in the same conversation as this, you're going to notice that your your crowd, the people you associate yourself with is going to change. That also takes place because because today everything's so instant gratification. Everything is in the palm of our hands. That also means the people that you follow on Instagram. That also means the friends list that you have on Facebook. It means the videos that you follow on TikTok. These things are going to change and that's okay. That's part of the journey. That's part of the growth. That's part of the healing. That's part of all of it. You're going to find out people that you've had friends for 20 years are probably not going to be in your circle anymore once you, you know, clean up your act. Something that was really cool that I heard from Trent Shelton a long time ago when he first became viral was that people in your corner might not even be clapping for you. The people in your corner might not even really have your back. They might just be in your corner just to be in your corner. And I discovered that was a lot of people were riding with me because I was doing some cool things. I was fighting. I was, you know, becoming a group fitness instructor. I was doing all these amazing things. But when it came down to the nitty gritty of the things, they were there to watch me and hopefully see me fail. And they wanted a front row seat of that. And it sucks. But you know what? I have control of who has access to my life and my energy. So then I said, all right, skirt, you can go this way. And a lot of those same people that I hung out with many years ago, I love them and I still pray for them. Whenever I do see them or our paths cross again, I say hello. I tell them I hope that they're doing good. But the thing is, is I really won't invest a whole lot of my time or energy on them because they're at a different place in their life and I've got something else going on in mind and that's totally okay. They might not be ready to be, you know, working on their sobriety. They might not be ready for all of that. And that's fine. That's okay. But I say all of that to come back to celebrate all of your milestones and find the people that are going to celebrate it with you and probably clap even louder than you. I had this awesome realization this weekend is um, 
when I'd first gotten sober, the first three years were pretty tough. You know, I'd be in certain situations, I'd feel a trigger and I'd probably immediately just head home. Um, or I'd have people like, come on, it's just one drink. You'll be fine. Or you've been sober long enough. You're okay. Um, you'll be, it's fine. Like you're not, you don't have a problem now. You understand what's going on. You don't need to do all these things or you don't need to drink so much. You're fine. You're fine. And I started to realize like, wow, those people that I thought were really supporting me really were just waiting for me to slip up and for me to fall right back in the same place that I was. So this weekend, a friend of mine, she got married and, you know, I'm, I feel damn blessed about my, about my journey and the fact that I'm coming up on seven years. I'm really excited about it because I'm coming from a place where I literally could have died in many of the situations. And I share it everywhere that I can. If anyone wants to hear it, I talk to them about it. I share with them these tips, the same things that I'm telling you guys right now. I share it. I, I, I feel it a disservice to my people, my friends, anyone else around me to hold on to the, the things that helped me. So I, I say and do what I can to help other people. So I've been really public about my journey and about my sobriety and being really proud of it. And I do so unapologetically. So now that so many people know about how important my sobriety is to me and why I hold it so close to my heart is, uh, it was really cool this weekend at this wedding, you know, it's, it's a wedding. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's got their glasses. Everybody's drinking. And it was hot. It was super hot. You know, everybody's looking at me like, Cola, you do turn up. You better be out here on the dance floor, like showing, showing everybody what's up and this and that. And, you know, after about five songs, you start getting tired. You get dehydrated. It's hella hot outside. The sun was coming down all day. So I was getting thirsty. And one of my friends, she had two cups in her hands. She had a drink. And then she had another cup. And I thought one of them was water. So I said, like, man, I'm thirsty. And she kind of handed it out to me. And she's in her own vibe. She's living the best life. She was having a good time. Um, she hands me her cup and I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, oh, it's water because it had a, a slice of lemon in it. And I smelt it and it didn't smell like anything. And as soon as I go to put it to my lips, somebody stopped me. They're like, no, that's water and vodka. And I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. What I thought in my mind was how awesome is it that I figured out my people, figured out like my tribe for people to recognize Cola sober. So if they see something that's kind of risky or something that isn't what I want to put in my body, they'll, they'll stop me. They'll say, Hey, that's not, that's not water. That's something else. I thought it was amazing. I feel so blessed to have people like that around me that'll recognize it and say something. Um, for those that don't know, vodka doesn't really smell all that hard until you consume it. When it's just in a cup with water, it's, it literally looks like and smells as, as if what water would. So that's why it was uh, such a big deal for someone to have stopped me. So I was really, I, I appreciate that so much that people understand my journey and how serious I take my sobriety. So that was really awesome. And, you know, before I end this, I definitely want to emphasize that I do not judge other people for the choices that they make for their own journey. I mean, there's some people out there that can drink and only have two drinks and keep it at that point. That wasn't me. That wasn't my journey. If I had one drink, I was going to go ahead and have another. In true cola fashion, I would just keep going on. I do a hundred everything 110%. I don't half-ass shit. Okay. That's my personality. That's an impulsive personality. Um, but for, I have tons of friends who drink. I have tons of friends who, you know, partake in these things and I don't judge it one way or another. And it, if that's how they feel, that's what they want to do. Girl, do you, you have fun. Um, yeah. I'm also not opposed to buying people drinks if they like to celebrate that way. I mean, I had a friend, like I said, she got married. I bought her a drink. I, she wanted something to drink, so I got it for her. Um, 
It's just that you have to be able to recognize the people that, you know, are able to casually and socially drink without a problem that want to, as opposed to people that are really struggling. Um, I say this in the same breath is that I very um, have a lot of uh, family history with alcoholism. And I do have an uncle that I love very much. And he still struggles to this day. And there's oftentimes where he is walking along the side of the road and just looking for ways to cope with his own journey, a lot of the trauma that he has experienced. And there's times where he will ask me for a ride. And that's something that I won't partake in. Um, if I know that he's trying to head to town to get something to drink, I'm usually like, all right, uncle, let me know when you want to go back home and I'll give you a ride. I will help people in that sort of way. So there's, there's these huge differences. And that's where my journey is at. Your journey might be different. You might have to stay completely away from bars and clubs to, you know, stay away from those triggers. But where I'm at in my journey, that's where I feel comfortable is if I'm hanging out with friends and they enjoy having a drink or two, um, that's fine. And, you know, I have friends that won't force that sort of thing on me. They won't ask me like, oh, you want one or do you need one? Things like that. Um, so yeah. And then I definitely, the other part is that I do not get upset when people buy me drinks. Uh, I still run into that, which is kind of crazy as public as I've been about my sobriety is, um, you know, with the Pendleton Roundup coming up, that's probably the biggest instance that this happens is uh, this huge rodeo that happens in town. Everybody goes out and everybody dances, parties, does whatever. And I too like to dance. We all know that. So I will go out and I'll dance with my friends and I'll do all those sorts of things. And there'll be every once in a while, there's somebody that doesn't know me or know who I am on my journey. And they'll shoot me a drink and, um, very, very, uh, will say thank you. But then I usually pass it on to someone else cause I, I don't need it. So I won't keep it. Um, I don't immediately go up to them. Don't you know that I'm sober? I, I definitely don't beat people with my words like that. Uh, but again, everybody's journey of sobriety, um, your journey in addiction and alcoholism, things like that is very individualistic. It'll be uh, about you and your journey, where you're at and sitting with it and reflecting with it and seeing um, how it's impacting your bigger why, things like that. So that's that's where I'm at with mine. And I really hope that helps a little bit to understand where I had come from. I came from a very, very dark place with alcoholism. I was struggling. Like I said, there were certain situations that I was putting myself through um, that a lot of people don't get to see the other side of. And there's times where I'm like, dang, why, why me? Why am I, why did I make it through that stuff? Why did I survive? when there's tons of other women out here that could have and should have made it to this side with me as well. Um, so it's sometimes it's very humbling to look back in that sort of way, but then I look at how far I've come and to continue honoring um, my loved ones that have gone on to the next place because of maybe an addiction or just some choices that they made. Uh, I definitely do my best to advocate for that. And, you know, when we're talking about MMIW, MMIR, anything like that, I definitely do not blame anyone's addiction to alcohol or drugs as the the reason why they were taken. I believe that people's lives are taken for absolutely no reason. There's no justification in taking someone else's life. There is no justification in saying, maybe she should have been partying. Maybe she shouldn't have been drinking. Maybe she shouldn't have hung out with so-and-so. Well, you know what? Maybe so-and-so should have realized it isn't their job or their place to decide if someone gets to continue walking this earth. So I don't want those to get intertwined or intermingled. Um, that's 
you know, we have to be aware of the victim blaming, victim shaming, especially when it comes to the MMIW and MMIR movement. Um, and even with domestic violence and sexual assault, we cannot be doing the victim blaming, victim shaming. You know, alcohol is legal. People can do that. People can partake in drinking. Um, that doesn't mean that their life means any less than anyone else's. Uh, so I definitely um, encourage you to maybe reflect on that thought. Let's see here. 22 years last month. Love it. And I'm staying strong and moving forward. You keep hanging in there. I think that's what it's supposed to say. You keep hanging in there. Stay strong one step at a time. Absolutely love that. 22 years is such a long time. I love that. And thank you so much. I believe I have a question on there. Can you repeat that number again? So the number for the American Addiction Center is 888-487-2830. That is just one of many. Um, if you are in a certain city or state or have IHS within your, um, within your means, uh, you could definitely look at different numbers that they might have, but that was just one that I was able to pull up for today's podcast. So, uh, that's one option. If you're ever looking for someone as a resource or support, always, always just, you know, know that you are not alone. There are tons of people out there that want to help. I know that there's many of us advocates that are willing to, to help anyone. I, should also end this with saying I am not a counselor. I have not had any sort of training in like peer mentorship. Um, I haven't had any sort of specific training in recovery. This is all off of my own personal experiences, my own battle that I had with alcoholism and just the steps that I took to in order to um, get sober. Um, I guess that's not my last thought. I will say um, some people have asked me like, has a specific program worked for you? Did you go to treatment? Um, what comes along with a lot of, uh, you know, alcohol use is, uh, just trouble. And so it was court ordered of me to you to go to treatment. And to be honest, it didn't really work that well for me. Um, they didn't really seem as invested in helping me as it was probably the same amount of effort that I was putting in. I was like, a, a judge ordered me to come take this treatment program. I'm going to do it. Okay, let's just check off this box so I could be done with this. Um, so personally for me, I did not see any sort of uh, progress with that. But other people have had many, many successes. It's just about finding what's going to work for you. I know my cousin who I've had on the podcast before talked about Medicine Wheel. That was a program that really worked for him. And it seemed to be really, really like effective and um, just overall very, very helpful because they keep it very culturally based, which I really do like. I think that if 12 years ago, 13 years ago when I was having to go through treatment, if those options were available to have it so culturally based, I probably would have really responded to those a little bit better, but those weren't available during um, my time when I was going through that. Um, I also come from a family who is very independent and strong. So my dad had always instilled in my mind when you want to get something done, the only way it's going to get done is if you want it to get done and you're ready to do the work. So um, after having that conversation with him, him reminding me about my boys being a gift from the creator, I had finally sat in it, navigated through it, and then figured out my bigger why. So did you do any AA meetings? I think I went to one AA meeting. It was like a women's group, if I remember back on it. Um... So that was, that was a little difficult because a lot of the people in that group I knew, and it was really hard to open up and share um, when you're going to a group like that from where you're from. I think bigger cities probably have better success because, you know, 
it's a bigger group of people. You don't really know everyone that's in that one group, but so, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and end this. If you miss anything in the live broadcast on Instagram, this is going to be posted to the EIE podcast tomorrow. And I hope this was helpful for anyone that's looking to, you know, get clean or get sober, things like that. Make sure you reach out to everyone that you have as a support. And if you need anyone to talk to, if you need absolutely anyone to talk to, you can always message me. Message me. Just let me know, hey, I really need someone just to know where I'm at right now. Um, you can let me know if you're struggling. You don't have to let me know. Just know that I'm at least one support that you have for yourself, okay? So you're not alone. I will do my best to connect you with the right people or just be an ear for you or, you know, just be someone that you could send messages back and forth with and, you know, even if that if that helps. So, all right, y'all, have an amazing day and go out there and kill it. Thank you for listening to the Enough is Enough podcast. If you would like more information on our host, guests, or podcast episodes, please visit us on Instagram at EIE541. 